Uh, first of all, I want to uh, pay tribute along with uh, Pastor Rachel earlier to the amazing work that our team put into GLOW last night. Can we say thank you to them? Uh, but, but these guys up here get all the glory. I want to pay tribute to three particular people who, who you might not know and might not see. Uh, Joshua Stewart, Connor Caldwell, and John O'Durr, who all put incredible effort behind the scenes to make this happen. You know, the first GLOW we did was uh, seven years ago, and I, I think I found it a little bit stressful because a few days before GLOW happened, I broke out in a rash all over my torso and my arms. I took a photo of it, sent it to my doctor, and I said, what's going on? Am I going to be okay? Uh, he said, it's fine. You probably have pityriasis rosea. He said, it's usually caused by stress. And we like to call it the Christmas tree rash because the rashes are shaped like Christmas trees. And this is how he signed off his message. Tis the season. <laughs> Apparently, church staff are not the only ones adversely affected by stress during the Christmas season. 38% of people surveyed by the American Psychological Association said that their stress increased over the Christmas season due to uh, some big factors like lack of time, financial pressure, gift giving, and family gatherings. Even worse, 64% of those living with mental illness felt their conditions worsened around Christmas, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And yet, didn't the angels declare that this was the season of peace, goodwill, toward men. This Advent, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're exploring the longings of every human heart. Each week, we're going to look at one of the longings of our hearts. This week, we're considering peace. Every single one of us longs for peace. Can you imagine how different your Christmas would be if you were kept in perfect peace the whole time? how much more enjoyable it would be, how much better you could love your family, how much more you would smile because of the peace that you feel inside. Well, today we're going to discover that it is possible to be kept in perfect peace and that ultimately, one day, we will all be kept in perfect peace forever. If we haven't met, my name's Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to you who are here in our sanctuary and to those of you joining us online. As I mentioned, we're exploring, exploring the longings of every human heart in the lead up to Christmas, and we're doing it through the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 26. So feel free to grab a Bible, your Bible app, and turn there now. If you grab the ones in the pew in front of you, it's on page 586. So Isaiah 26 page 586 in your pew Bibles. Now, Isaiah was a prophet who lived around 700 years before Jesus was born. He, he prophesied to the people of God at that time. That was the nation of Judah. And as Pastor Mark shared last week, Isaiah prophesied some of the most important prophecies we have about the birth of Jesus, those 700 years later. But he also spoke prophetically to the people of God living at that time. But in the passage we're looking at today and in the, the section that surrounds it, he's actually prophesying about the far distant future. 
And in seven ways in these chapters, chapters 24 to 27, we're told what will happen on that day or in that day. We see that phrase repeated seven times. God will judge the people of the earth and the angels. God will gather his people for a feast on his holy mountain. God will swallow up death forever. God will slay the enemy, Satan. God's people will become like a pleasant vineyard, and God will gather his people together from the far reaches of the earth, and they will worship as one people. It is a picture of that future day when Jesus returns and all things are made right. And right in the middle of this section is a song, It's the song that the people of God will sing on that day. And that's what we're going to look at together. It's in Isaiah 26, and it's verses 1 through 6. Take a look with me. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Several years ago, my maternal grandmother began distributing the inheritance that was to come to her five children. She began to give them small gifts each year that were kind of a, a foretaste of the inheritance that they would receive upon her death. Last year, she passed away, and the remainder of her estate was divided between her children, who got to experience the fullness of her legacy. Now, the reality is they didn't experience the fullness of what was rightfully theirs until she passed, but they did get a foretaste of it over the years prior through her generous giving. In the same way, we don't get to experience the fullness today of what we read. This is the song that we will sing in that day. This is the song we will sing when we enter into our eternal inheritance, which is ours in Christ Jesus. However, we do receive a foretaste of that inheritance right now through the Spirit of Christ, which God the Father has given to us. You know, in the same way that my my mother didn't experience the fullness of her inheritance until her mum passed, but did get to experience a foretaste in the years prior. So in the same way, the full reality of this passage we've just read won't be our reality until that day, but we do get to experience a foretaste of it right now. Now the question is, how can we experience more of that eternal reality today? Or to put it in terms of the the longing of the heart that we're talking about this week, how can we experience more of that perfect peace, which will be ours in the future? How can we experience more of that today? And I believe that this song that we will sing shows us that we can experience more of that peace today in three different ways dimensions. Up, in, and out. Up, peace with God. In, peace with ourselves. And out, peace 
with others. Peace up, in, and out. Let's take a look at each in turn. First up, peace with God. Ancient cities like Jerusalem were defended by the use of walls, and access was granted to the city via gates. At the time Isaiah was prophesying, Jerusalem would have looked something like this. The walls protected the city from attack, and the gates allowed the people of the city to enter in and go out. In verses 1 and 2 of the song that we just read, Isaiah talks about a strong city. He's almost certainly talking about a perfected vision of Jerusalem. He points forward to an eternal city that one day we will all inhabit. And he makes key observations about first the walls and second the gates. So first, the walls of the city will be salvation. Verse 1, we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. God's salvation will act as the defense mechanism for those that live in the city. They'll be kept safe from attack because of the salvation of God. And the second thing Isaiah observes is that the gates will only be open to the righteous. Verse 2, open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Only the righteous and faithful will be allowed to enter into the city. And so if both these things are true, that is if, if God's salvation is the city's defense and only the righteous and faithful are allowed in, it will truly be Jerusalem. And Jerusalem literally means the city of peace. But if we want to enter that city of peace, we must be righteous. And in and of ourselves, none of us are righteous. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, quoting from the Psalms, says, none is righteous, no, not one. On account of our own righteousness, the gates would be shut and we would not be allowed into that city of peace. We could not live in peace with God and his righteous people. But God, in his great mercy, has made a way for us to be righteous in his sight. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus didn't know sin. He never sinned. But God made him to be sin. He literally took our sin and put it onto Jesus so that when he looked at Jesus, he saw our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This great exchange took place upon the cross where Jesus took upon himself our sin and he gave us his righteousness. So that now when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And all we need to do is believe and accept that that is truth. As Paul continues in Romans, therefore, since we have been justified, that is since we've been made righteous by faith, that's all we need to do, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been made righteous by faith, and as a result, we can enter that eternal city of peace and have peace with God through Jesus. And that's true eternally, but that's also true today. God has made us righteous right now. We have peace with God today. Yet very often, I think that we don't feel at peace with God. Now, why is that? 
I think it's because we continue to struggle with sin. I spoke with a man recently who was formerly a pastor. While pastoring his church, he led a secret life of sexual addiction. This led him into debt, which then in turn led him to rob a bank. He didn't get caught, so he robbed another and another until he robbed 13 banks, all while pastoring a church. When he robbed his 14th bank, he got caught. He was convicted. He served time in jail. That was over 30 years ago. But I recently met him, and I asked him, what did it feel like when you got caught? And he said, I felt relief. Isn't that interesting? And if anyone out there has lived with an addiction, maybe a hidden addiction or a habitual sin pattern, you're trying to hide away from the world, you know how hard it is to find peace with God. When you keep that sin hidden, Satan plays on it to eliminate your peace with God. And yet God is also trying to use that to bring you out into the light to a place of repentance where you turn away. When, when you do repent of that sin, when you bring it out into the open, you experience the fullness of that peace with God. That's the relief that that former pastor spoke of. Yes, you have to live up to the consequences of your sin, just like he did, but in the long term, you will find that peace that you so desperately long for, just like that former pastor who now helps other pastors become healthier versions of themselves. So, if you are struggling with some area of sin, a habitual sin pattern or a, or a hidden addiction, you're probably not experiencing that peace with God. And I would encourage you to confess what is going on in your life, to bring that out into the light, to share it with a trusted friend, to repent of it, which means to turn away from it, and to experience the forgiveness and the peace that is yours in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's yours. Bring it into the light and experience that peace. So, first, this passage tells us we can experience peace upwards, with God. Second, it tells us we can experience inner peace with ourselves. One of my wife's favorite Christmas movies is Love Actually. It's about nine intertwined stories that all have one emotion in common, love. One of these stories is about a man named Mark who is secretly in love with his best friend's wife. But he's determined not to act on it. He's going to keep it a secret so as not to damage and hurt his relationship with his best friend. But one day he gets found out by his best friend's wife. And she confronts him. And she says, is it true? And Mark has a choice to make in this moment. And he decides to keep up the facade, to maintain the relationship. And as he walks away from this conversation, there's this moment where you see him in two minds as to whether to go back or whether to go forward. Take a look at this. This is what it looks like. Should I go back? No, no, I'll, I'll keep up the lie. No, 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 I should tell the truth. No, no, uh, you can just hear it in his head as he's going through this until finally 
He zips up his sweater, and he's off. This is a picture of what it looks like to be double-minded, to be constantly vacillating between one choice and another. And I think we all experience this in some way, not necessarily about unrequited love, but about whether we should make this decision or that, whether we should say this or say that, whether we should trust them or trust that. And the passage we just read talks about this double-mindedness expressing itself in whether we trust God or not. Take a look again at verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah says that the key to perfect inner peace is a mind that is stayed on God. That is a mind that is wholeheartedly, single-mindedly focused on God. Not a mind that's going, should I trust in God or should I trust in myself? Should I trust in God or should I trust in what the world tells me to do? No. A mind that is kept in perfect peace is one that has been wholly focused upon God. And why is this trust in God warranted? Well, read verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever. Why? For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Earlier this year, my family and I got to travel to Arches National Park in Utah. While we were there, we got to experience many magnificent red rock formations, including arches and caves. In his commentary on this passage, John Oswald explains that Isaiah's image of a rock is of a rocky crag upon which a harassed person could climb and hide in one of the crannies to fend off attacks. We saw many places like that in Arches National Park, where you could climb in to a little cranny on top of a rock and fend off attacks that would come your way. In a world that is uncertain, this image of security and certainty brings great peace and confidence. And it's only enhanced by our understanding that this rock is God himself, who is everlasting. Our defender and our protector will never fade or fail. And therefore, we can trust in him wholeheartedly, single-mindedly. And if we want to have peace with ourselves, if we want to have inner peace, Isaiah says it will come when we single-mindedly fix our trust on God, who is our everlasting rock. You know, there's so much vying for our gaze and attention at this time of year. And that's on top of a world that's full of so many distractions and diversions that try to take us away from focusing upon Jesus. And yet, this season of Advent, this lead up to Christmas, has historically been a time when the church has practiced an intense season of single-minded focus and devotion on the Lord. What if our Advent took a similar shape? What if you carved out time every single day during Advent to spend it with Jesus? Time to hear from Him in His Word. Time to pray with Him, to Him. Time to serve on His behalf. How might that change your inner peace if you were to focus your attention on him rather than on all the many different things that are going on around you. 
Isaiah's claim is that if we focus our attention and gaze upon God, he will keep us in perfect peace. So will you do it? Will you choose to focus your attention upon Jesus and not this world? Now, the easiest way I found to do this is to develop a habit of starting and ending every day in reading the Bible and in praying. In those moments, focusing ourselves wholeheartedly upon the everlasting rock. If you've never done that before, if you don't know where to start, try downloading the Bible in One Year app. You can find it on the app store of your mobile device by typing in Bible in One Year. Try it. Try it this Advent. Focusing your attention single-mindedly upon our everlasting rock. So, In these verses, Isaiah tells us how we can experience peace. First up, peace with God through being made righteous in Christ. Second, peace in with ourselves through a single-minded focus on our everlasting rock. Up, in, and finally, out. Peace with others. I've got a friend who's a police officer. He says that domestic violence increases dramatically around the holidays. Being with others over the holidays, it often causes arguments and strife and tension. And even if that doesn't lead to violence, it definitely leads to a lack of peace amongst friends and family. So how can we gain peace with others? Well, the final verses of our passage tell us that the key to peace with others is humility. In that song that the people of God will sing at the end of time, they will declare how God has brought about a great reversal. God will humble the exalted and exalt the humble. Let's take another read of verses 5 and 6. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor the steps of the needy. Now, in contrast to the city of peace that we read about earlier, we're introduced to a lofty city whose inhabitants have raised themselves up in pride. And the response of God has been to humble them by destroying the city. And here's what's amazing. The means by which God has done this is through the very people that the proud raise themselves up against. God has trampled on the city, verse 6, verse six says, through the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The poor and the needy are God's instrument to humble the proud. God humbles the exalted and God exalts the humble. When the end of time comes, we don't want to be on the side of those who've exalted themselves because we will be humbled. We are much better off to spend our lives as those who are poor and needy and allow God to lift us up on that day. Our mission statement is exalt Jesus, elevate others, and launch disciple makers. Let's say that all together. Exalt Jesus, elevate others, and launch disciple makers. Can you see that every verb in that mission statement is upward-oriented? Can you see that every noun in that mission statement is other-centered? In other words, 
Our entire mission at Chapel Hill is about us going lower and fixing our attention on putting others higher. We are to exalt Jesus. We are to elevate others. We are to launch disciple makers. We are to go lower and lower and lift others higher and higher. Humility is our aim as a church. That's our goal in one word. It's one of the three values that we assess our our staff upon in their performance reviews. It is the drumbeat of Pastor Mark's teaching to the rest of the pastors. You must be humble, you must be humble, you must be humble. We, as the church, are called to be humble, to look to the needs of others, to consider others better than ourselves, to exalt Jesus, to elevate others, to launch disciple-makers. Humility is the key to who we are at Chapel Hill, but it's also the key to finding peace in all of our relationships with others. Taking a posture of humility is the best way to find peace with others. Lifting ourselves up in pride and self-righteousness, that's the best way to find conflict. Recently, we taught our kids a new word, de-escalation. We explained it to them using the image of escalators that you find in shopping malls, airports, and public transit stations. We talked to our kids about how when you start an argument with one another, it's like you both step on the escalator and things start going upwards. And the longer you continue to argue, the more escalated the situation gets until someone explodes and someone gets hurt. Instead, what you must do is de-escalate the argument. That is, one of you must make the choice to hit the reverse button on the escalator and bring things back down so that they won't explode. Yes, you might not win the argument, but ultimately you're going to be much better off. Now, I wonder what it might look like this Christmas for us to practice hitting the reverse button on the escalator. When we take offense at something someone has said because it hurts our pride, to hit the de-escalator button. When we get into a sharp disagreement with someone, to hit that de-escalator button. When we're ignored or blindsided by someone, to hit the de-escalator button. To say to ourselves, I would rather be poor, needy, and humble and have God exalt me than to be rich, self-sufficient, and proud and have God bring me down. To trust that on that last day, God will exalt the humble and to put ourselves in that humble posture today. How much more peace do you think we'll have with others if we were to practice humility in our relationships this Christmas? Peace. We all long for it, especially at this time of year. And one day we will have perfect peace in and through the work of Jesus. We will sing that song of Isaiah 26 proclaiming how great the work of our God is. And until that day comes, we can experience a foretaste of peace. And we can experience it in three different dimensions, up, in, and out. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, 
and peace with others. Up, peace with God through repenting of our sin, bringing it out into the light, and trusting in the work of Jesus for our righteousness and receiving peace with God as a result. In, peace with ourselves through single-mindedly focusing our gaze, our trust, our hope on the everlasting rock, the only sure foundation in this world. And maybe this season that looks like an intentional daily time of focus on the Lord. And finally, out, peace with others through practicing humility, hitting the de-escalator button and choosing to take the lower path. Peace up, in, and out. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others. It's ours in Christ eternally, but it can be ours today through the work of Christ's Spirit in our lives. So would you join me in prayer as we invite the Holy Spirit to do that work in us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though we are unrighteous in and of ourselves, you made a way for us to enter into peace with you. That through your Son, Jesus, you have made a path for us to enter into those gates, to rejoice as we walk into the city. Jesus, thank you that you were willing, that you took our sin upon yourself when you alone were righteous. And thank you, Father, that when you now look at us, you see the righteousness of Christ. Lord, if there's any here who are hiding sin in their lives, give them boldness and courage to step out and expose it so that they might find that peace that is rightfully theirs in Christ. Lord, set them free. Lord, I pray for each one of us in this season as there are so many distractions that we would single-mindedly focus our gaze and attention upon Christ. Lord, if that means we need to change our habits and disciplines and rhythms, convict us of that right now and pour out your Spirit upon us that we may have the ability, the courage, the power to do that. And Lord, be faithful to your promise in your word. If we keep our minds stayed on you, you will give us perfect peace. Lord, we claim that promise in our lives and we ask that as we focus single-mindedly upon our everlasting rock, that you will pour out your perfect peace upon us. And finally, Lord, we pray for your work in us to humble us. Lord, make us a humble people who do not need to be right, who do not need to be exalted, but are focused upon the good of others. Lord, that's only by the work of your Spirit in us. I pray this Christmas season that we would hit that de-escalator button in the moments that your spirit would prompt us and say, de-escalate, de-escalate. Lord, only your spirit can do that and empower us to take the next step. So we invite your spirit to come and do that work in us. And we ask that in all of this, the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified. The great, matchless, eternal one, our everlasting rock in whose name we pray, amen. Amen.